You're listening to Story Warriors, the podcast that helps you craft great stories. Whether you're pitching investors, preparing a conference talk, writing copy, or even a book, a powerful story will help you connect with your audience and encourage them to take action. Thanks for joining Story Warriors. I'm your host, Jack Vincent. Welcome to this episode of Story Warriors. I'm delighted to have on the show today, Chris Corbett. He's a fellow American living in Zurich, like me living in Lucerne. And I, you know, I like to call him a writer's writer. Chris writes for brands and business, does storytelling for media figures, and I could highly recommend him, by the way. He's also a novelist. He's, uh, he's got a great book called Nirvana Blues, The Journey is the Destination. Christopher Klim called it a story of journey and circumstance, the intersection of desire and destiny. Chris, welcome to the show. I'm delighted, delighted to have you on the show. Thank you, Jack. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, Nirvana Blues. You know, the journey is the destination. Just give us a top line and, and what you felt writing it. Characters is our topic today. Okay, well, the seed of the story came from an episode in the life of Steve Jobs. So using that as a springboard, I've rewritten the early history of Silicon Valley And my entrepreneur hero is trying to find the balance between living an idealistic life while trying to be a commercial success. So he's conflicted by these two desires. Just to add a little spice, because everybody likes romance, (laughs) I had him fall in love with the daughter of one of the prominent farmers in the family that are protesting against the high-tech industry taking over the orchards and making industry parks. So he's conflicted, which is always good for developing character. The idealist and the realist. Also, there's a character that I love in there. It's uh, Stephen Collins, who traveled with, uh, with James to India for the yoga teacher in Southern California. And he's working on, uh, he's looking for success in the entertainment business where he discovers the dark side of the entertainment industry, which is something I love. Okay, I don't want to get away from your main character, but there's another individual who's conflicted. And I only bring that out because I'm working on something that bridges between a couple of industries and the conflict there. What is it that you love about James or Stephen in their character in this conflict? Well, I think they're both aspiring to a noble ideal of a better world. James thinks his machines are going to change humanity. And Steve Jobs once said that he believed Thomas Edison did more to help the world by inventing the light bulb than the yoga teacher he was look- that Jobs was looking for and Karl Marx put together. And that's when he said, you know, I'm going to go home and make things to help people. So they both have that wish to make the world a better place. But yet the nature of the business that they're each in draws them deep into it so that their ideals get sacrificed in the pursuit of success. 
the sweet smell of success is like honey for a bee. So <laughs> I love uh, it. it's very distracting. The hubris of success and also the conflicts. We have to maybe drop some of our ideals in order to reach success. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's what I tried to show in these two characters' story, each in their own different world, very different worlds. And as the story progresses, you see each character gradually getting lost. It's, I think, the natural process of people as they pursue a dream that trying to keep the balance between what we hold as ideals, like you say, these trade-offs we make, becomes a challenge. A lot of times we think, oh yeah, you know, I can come back to these, these noble aspirations, but just for now I'm going to pursue this road and see where it takes me. Sometimes you get so far down that road that you forget the way back. You get lost and the road starts to look very real. That's not unlike a lot of careers I know of, and I would even throw myself in there. I don't think I was, ever was a tra- personally now, not characters I'm inventing or, or even reporting on. There was a point in my career where I think I was starting to get a little lost, and I did my best to correct that, but it was a struggle. So these are themes and topics of character that impact all of us, don't you think? I mean, isn't that what you're going for, to show a little bit of ourselves in your characters who are conflicted? Yeah, you're right. That's the human dilemma. I believe that we all have good aspirational qualities and we wish that those would come out more. You want to see those better qualities of humans come out and there's that way civilization has progressed to want more, to have it faster, to have it bigger. In that pursuit, we forget the basic qualities that make us human. Whatever the circumstance be, a virus or in my story, the allure of success or your ego saying, I'm doing this really great thing and I'm going to change the world, that the need to identify with those better qualities becomes a bigger necessity to keep balance. I don't think there's anything wrong with the pursuit of making a new computer or writing a screenplay that is going to come out as a film with inspiration for people. I don't think going through all that dance that people have to go through to achieve your goal, there's nothing wrong with having to push for success. But in the process, one shouldn't forget the better side of ourselves. And it's the forgetting that makes for interesting characters, no? That's right. And I think that is one of the things I like about, you know, the books that I'm attracted to are the characters who have these flaws, because that's basically like a trait that makes the character relatable, because you don't want to have Superman and he's this perfect icon. You want to see his weakness, like kryptonite, you know, everybody has a weakness. That's what makes a character relatable. That's what makes them believable, is that they are not a perfect creature, but also have challenges and have a history. They have 
things that have happened to them in their life which shape who they are today and the decisions they make. And a lot of times it's overcoming those patterns that we've been subjected to and then need to work our way out of them to be our more authentic self. Outside of Superman and Kryptonite, which I always love that analogy. However, it's okay, it's in the advent of TV and all of that. But Kryptonite is this element and it makes him imperfect. What I like to see in characters is Kryptonite being a human component, a human element and not some element of chemistry. I was once flying on a flight from Vancouver back to New York and I had a Vancouver newspaper with me and I was reading in the art section. One writer said, the flawed character is the most interesting character. The deeper the flaw, the more interesting the character. As you said, we like to pursue the ideal, and we may even tell our friends that we are pursuing the ideal, but somebody knows we deep inside, or our really best friends, or everybody knows that there's something flawed there. How do you see that? I think we all have flaws. So if we're reading a very engaging story, and we see the different characters each have their conflicts which come out of their limitations or, as we're saying, patterns, that the reader says, okay, I can relate to that because either I've experienced something like that or it gets them deeper into the story because they want to see how that character is going to overcome his flaw or to work with the limitations and eventually overcome the conflicts and in a good story, have a happy ending, the Um, resolution. Okay, which is because the character goes back and digs into his flaws, for example, and corrects them or fails to? Yeah, it could go either way. Uh, There's actually a third character in my book who is uh, a friend of these two individuals. He represents the idealistic free spirit of that time because the book is set in the mid-70s and this third character greasy greg he's called greasy because he's a mechanic and always got grease on his hand he's trying to keep that spirit alive of what the 60s and 70s promised as a more open society and a more loving culture unfortunately what i don't want to give too much away but He does what he thinks is a noble act, which results in an accidental death, which haunts him. It starts a downward spiral. And even though he was the cheerleader for this small group of friends, he gets lost very seriously and doesn't end up in a good way. That's all I'll say. But just as you were asking, It can go either way. You can come through a crisis stronger because you've been tested. Your strengths have had to come out more to deal with the situation. Or you can be so beaten down by a circumstance that even if you want, you're not going to climb out. If you're in the middle of the ocean and you're on a cruise ship and you fall off the back in the middle of the night and the cruise ship is chugging along and nobody knows you're gone. Good luck swimming anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, now is that the definition of heroic character versus tragic character? I like to say that, you know, a heroic character isn't, you know, one more fireman rescuing one more cat from one more tree. And a tragic character isn't necessarily one who dies, that the tragic character doesn't learn the lesson. If you could sort that out for me a little bit there. Well, if I use my story as an example, and the character I just mentioned, yes, he's a tragic character because he has a big heart and he wants to do good and help people. And then through a circumstance beyond his control, he starts to feel guilty. He starts to withdraw and go in the wrong direction. And yet, sometimes I almost wanted to call this book The Ballad of Greasy Greg, because out of the three characters, even though he's the one who gets the worst deal out of the three of them, it's his noble vision, which the others relate to, that even when Greg is in this deep, dark place, that this noble vision is the takeaway, that they are able to hang on to, to take them forward. So even a tragic character can have a good influence, even though they themselves may not have such a happy ending. So it's sort of the other way to show bringing out other values that are more desired. Interesting. Would it be fair to say that in this case or generally that you could have a tragic character who doesn't learn the lesson, and I'm simplifying, while his tragedy and his character development, his conflict and character development that doesn't resolve positively in his or her case, but that that journey is a positive influence on the other characters. And would you call that a tragic character with a positive influence or would you call that a heroic character? That's a good question. (laughs) I think we always think of heroes as being the strong ones, as being the ones who lead us into battle and conquer whatever challenges are put in front of them. But it's, and it's not even an anti-hero in the sense of a bad guy who also perhaps comes around to another point of view so that at the end of the story, you see somebody has changed. And I think uh, a tragic character, their example is a message in itself. And if they themselves are able to, from the tragic circumstance, have some more insight, then there's also a lesson to be learned there. There's also a uh, resolution. For the audience, Chris and I met at a networking event in Zurich five, six, maybe seven years ago. One of those uh, events, we're both Yanks living in Switzerland, and it was one of those events that is loaded with expats foreigners living, living in Zurich. And I can tell you right now, those events are loaded with interesting characters. And then afterwards, Chris, Chris reached out to me and we get together every now and then for coffee. We, we like to think of ourselves as uh, the poet and the musician, Vinicius de Moraes and Carlos Tom Jobim, who, by the way, wrote The Girl from Ipanema. And we often joke about that when we're setting up a coffee date. Ipanema? 
So you're one of the, uh, the charter characters here on Story Warriors, one of my first guests. One of the things that you and I talked about in our first coffee was the human condition, which is my guiding principle where I got that in university. And, you know, one of the things that lights your fire is character. And that you said original characters, what really lights your fire are original characters that are human and by showing and not telling. Got any uh, advice for other writers, other storytellers, people composing stories, whether it's a 90-second anecdote that they're delivering from a stage for a talk or a blog post that starts with a story and a character? How do you show a character as opposed to tell? Hey, if you're enjoying Story Warriors, Please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found me. And if you're looking to sell with more success or pitch with more impact, well, that's what I do. I help solopreneurs, startups, and Fortune 500s alike sell more effectively. If you want to talk about the challenges and opportunities you're facing in driving your top line, send me an email at jack at jackvincent.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. How do you show a character as opposed to tell? I think that comes down to action. And it's just what you said about the telling versus the showing. You could write a whole page description very eloquently describing a character, but you can communicate the same in much less words just by what he does. Because you always hear action speaks louder than words. And I think this is a good example because when we're out in public and we see somebody, we're judging them by what they're doing, how they're acting, how they're behaving. So... I think visual clues give a lot to define a person's character. Words embellish it. So what they say, what they do is what defines them. So rather than try to describe them, I always try to let them show themselves by what they're doing. And we always have to give the reader an ounce of credit to be intelligent enough to figure out that that action has got a certain meaning. And of course, it's all up to an individual's interpretation what that means, but some basic actions are self-explanatory. So an act of kindness shows a side of a character who may up until that point look like a tough guy. But then you see, oh, this guy, he picked up a puppy on the street that was stray and gave it to the, the right authorities. So there's many ways that you can show through action what another side of this person is without having to take a page to create a story about them. Do you ever, uh, you, are you a proponent of backstory where maybe you're in the middle of action in media rest kind of thing? And then you, that reminded him or her, and then you do two or three paragraphs about something that happened. So rather than saying, he's really a kind guy, 
you say, you know, you maybe start with a little emotion and then go back to the day that he stopped his car in the middle of the street and got out and walked an old lady across the pedestrian crossing. Do you ever use backstory to show it or is it always in the present for you? I use backstory to flesh out the character and probably in the telling of that background, the reader gets a better sense of the individual because it's a more well-rounded picture. So I use backstory because it's a way to give another dimension and give insight into the character. Like we were saying, everybody has a history. So if some event triggers one of those quirks that is a result of a past incident, and then that past incident is described, you then better understand why that person has that particular flaw. You use the word quirky in there. I am a total freak of Harry Potter. I read all seven books out loud to my kids over a four. We got started when book four was coming out. So we read one, two, and three. We waited for book four. Then we started going to the films and we ended with book seven. They were the perfect age. I read every word of Harry Potter, seven books to my kids out loud. And that's just loaded with quirky characters. For me, Harry Potter or not, I find that quirkiness makes characters more believable and therefore more compelling. How do you see that? I agree. I think that it's like a multifaceted uh, stone that you see different aspects as you turn it. And that is what makes somebody interesting. Because if you think about the people you know, the, the ones that stand out the most are the individuals, let's say. And they're individual because maybe they have a certain style or they have a certain way of expressing or they do crazy things. In a way, that's very endearing because you like those special people, perhaps because they represent something you yourself are not capable of, or they reinforce a similar aspect of yourself that you like. I think another word would be colorful. The word individual also means somebody who's unique. We like to see these unique people that like if we encountered them in a book that we may not have encountered that same type person in real life, it allows us to go into another world, like you were talking about Harry Potter. We don't bump into wizards every day on the street, <laughs> or at least maybe we don't recognize them. So it allows us to take a leap into our imagination and leave our current reality and enter another reality simply because the characters are so unique that we want to know about them. We want to see what's going to happen next. We want to hear more what they have to say, this kind of thing. You call them colorful. I call them weird. And I think we're, 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 we're saying the same thing. You know me and some of the talks I've given and embrace your inner weirdo, not even thinking about character, but thinking about one's authentic life. It's the weirdo in us that people love. The parts of us that are exactly like everybody else are not lovable. They're, they're observable, but they're, they're not lovable. 
Which brings me to something you once said over one of our coffees was you want your readers to become attached to your characters. Yeah, I think when I read an interesting story, a book, that the ones that draw me in the most are where you really understand who that character is. You can follow whatever path they're taking. And because the character is so authentically created, what he says, what he does, everything that happens is believable. So for you, the reader, that character is real. And what they're doing is real. That, to me, is a special talent that an author has that makes the book very engrossing because you can have a really great adventure, but you really need really great characters to keep the story moving and have you believe that this is a real story that you're reading. You can have a great adventure, which I believe is plot. There are so many elements of storytelling that bring it from good to great. Adventure, character, of course, which has been our topic today. One of my favorites is theme. Theme takes a lot of work. Today, we've gone into character. And Chris, it's been, you know, just a great little journey here that we've had over the last half hour or so. A couple more questions before we close. As a writer and a storyteller, as a craftsman of stories, what are some of your struggles? In the craft of writing, what are some of your struggles? Well, that's a, that's a whole hour's discussion on its own, but uh, <laughs> I'll try to name a few. One is actually, I guess it's a good problem, and that is the research aspect, because for my novel, I had to research the story of Steve Jobs, the history of Silicon Valley, the history of movie and filmmaking and music making in Los Angeles, just a lot of aspects of that time period. That way, the book will have an authentic depth to it. The research itself became its own little trap because I so enjoyed the research that I probably took more time than I should have. It is essential, no question. So I think that is more a word of warning. And the actual mechanics of writing, it's the discipline. I think that when I wrote this novel, I was working full-time in corporate communications. I would write on evenings, weekends, vacations, and even on my lunch hour. So I think when you have a story that you want to pursue, you should pursue it with all the energy you have. And that's not always easy because we have a lot of distractions. And then there's always the famous myth of the writer in pain. If you think of like Ernest Hemingway or F. Scott Fitzgerald, these characters who ended up drinking a lot to get them through the eternal suffering of an artist, which, like I say, is a bit of a myth. But it is this sensitivity that a creative person has, which could lead to self-doubt. Because here you are, you're months into this project, you think it's great, but then the nature of our mind is to doubt. And then you say, "Uh, will anybody want to read this? Will I ever finish it? Is it going to be any good? That's always an ongoing challenge. 
to not give in to those kind of thoughts. Then there's just the mechanics of putting the words down on paper. It's a, a bit of discipline. But ultimately, for me, the pleasure is in the creation so that the journey is the destination. The reward is doing the work. I once made the mistake of telling my girlfriend that writing was better than sex. <laughs> and that was not the, no girlfriend wants to hear that. So I suggest even as much as you enjoy the process, because it taps somewhere very deep inside and it's a very fulfilling process, Keep those kind of comments to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, you know, say writing is almost as good as sex. <laughs> I was chatting with the writer, T.C. Boyle, and I told him that story. And he said, yeah, just tell her it's better than sex, but not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the perfect place to end our episode today because... I have been called and I now call myself a poet in a business suit. And by using that, the poet, it almost gives one license to be able to talk about sex. And sex is very much part of the human condition. Let's face it. And romance and desire and all of those things. I'm just going to end with one more question. What are you working on next? Or is it a deep, dark secret? No secrets. I just finished a ghostwriting project called The White Game, which is with a ski teacher in Zermatt who has been teaching by feeling and awareness, or what is popularly called mindfulness. But he was already doing this back in the 80s with people like David Bowie and Claude Nobbs, who organized the Montreux Jazz Festival. So that's done and dusted. It's with my agent, and he's got it in front of some publishers. And I have a second novel that is in its third or fourth draft, I've lost count, which is more what you would call a thriller that takes place here in Switzerland in the world of private banking and the international art scene. So that's my new time-consuming activity. Well, that right there is reason for us to have another coffee again soon when, uh, when our current situation is, is over. We can even do it online. I am working on my first thriller, and there is that element of uh, the shady side of business. So I, I think we could compare each other's notes and make each other's Absolutely. stories even better just by doing that, because I know the more I talk about my stories, I don't like to publicize what the title is and what, but when I'm with a writer and we uh, or a storyteller or an artist, when, when I go there, uh, that, that, that I always come home and say, oh, I got to put this in to whatever I'm writing. And even outside of writing a book, something I'm creating, a talk I'm giving, a nonfiction piece of work or, or something like that. Um, Chris can be found at Chris Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T dot com, correct? That's right. One word. Yep. And uh, a fellow Yank here in Switzerland, fellow writer. Thanks for being on the episode today of Story Warriors, Chris. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. It's been nice talking with you. Okay. And we're going to meet for a coffee as soon as we can. Chris Corbett, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye now. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Story Warriors, the podcast for crafting great stories. 
If you've got something you want me to cover or an idea for an episode or any suggestions at all, I'd love to hear from you. Check out my website and send me a message at jack at jackvincent.com. Let's connect on social too. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. Thanks again and hope you join me for next week's episode of Story Warriors.